You are listening to Serve, Protect, Lead, a podcast from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, where you will hear from ICP leadership and police leaders across the globe, sharing wisdom, insight, and perspective. Hello, everyone. My name is Christina Fernandez, and I am Program Manager at the ICP. Today, we have two very special guests with us, former Chief of Police of the Aurora, Illinois Police Department, Kristen Zeman, and National School Safety Advocate, Matt Schachter. Together, we'll be talking about the IACP's Mass Violence Advisory Initiative and how this project can benefit law enforcement leaders as they face a targeted mass violence incident in their community for the first time. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to ask each of you to introduce yourselves and give us a little insight into your experience and expertise on the topic of targeted mass violence. Um, just Kristen, I'm gonna begin with you if that's okay. Sure, thank you so much for having us on today. Uh, my name is Kristen Zeman and I just retired from the Aurora, Illinois Police Department. I served 30 years in that department and retired as the chief, uh, spending five and a half years um, as chief and uh, things were going swimmingly uh, in the first couple of years of my tenure as chief until uh, the unthinkable occurred. Uh, the thing that you never think is going to happen in your backyard uh, to people that you love and care about. And uh, we had a mass shooting and uh, that happened on February 15th, 2019. Five of my police officers were shot and five people were killed. It was a workplace violence, a, a man who was uh, getting terminated uh, on that particular day. And our officers uh, took bullets and saved a lot of lives that day. But tragically, uh, five people uh, who did nothing more but get up and go to work on that day were tragically murdered. Uh, that day uh, changed uh, me forever, my professional and personal outlook on life. And, uh, and it is now my mission going forward to not only try and prevent the next mass shooting, uh, but to assist those in preparation, uh, prevention being the key, uh, but understanding that some things are out of our control. And so um, as part of my role with IACP, uh, I serve as the vice president um, at large on the executive board. And so in conjunction with the ISCP um, and with many advocates and of course with Max um, who has personally suffered from this tragedy uh, we're hoping to again to prevent uh, but then to you know talk about preparation and and, and what happens uh, if if this should occur thank you for that introduction you have a, a unique experience that that we appreciate that you're willing to share that insight with, with police leaders as they're facing something like this for the first time which is you know we talk a lot about you don't know what you don't know in these instances. We're gonna delve a lot into that today and, and how you, you can't really prepare in every way. There's so many things you're not gonna be thinking about. If we can help with that, that's what we wanna do. Max, if you could introduce yourself a little bit, please. Yeah, my name is Max Schachter. Uh, Christina, thank you for having me on today's podcast. I'm, I'm happy to be on, on the episode with Chief Seaman, who I have a, the utmost respect for. My little boy, Alex, was murdered in the Parkland school shooting just a year and a day prior to, to Kristen's tragedy, February 14th, Valentine's Day, the day of love. A, uh, this was 2018. A former student walked into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School with an AR-15 and a rifle bag and proceeded to murder 17 people and, and injure 17 
2017 as well. After that day, nothing else seemed to matter in my life. I put my, my former life on hold. And so now I travel around the country and I, I advocate for school safety because I know that if we implement the, the lessons that we have learned in Parkland and best practices that, that we've developed, we can save lives. And after this happened, our, our community was, was just uh, turned upside down. So much trauma and, and grief and, and PTSD, not only affecting the 17 family, but it, it permeates the entire community. Everyone is affected. Um, not just for, for days and weeks and months, but for years and years to, uh, in the future, this, this happens in every community. And, and in a lot of these horrible tragedies, you have uh, after effects of, of, of suicide happening as well from survivor's guilt. So when this happened to us, you know, we did not have the expertise uh, we had never been through a tragedy like this before. And so I felt very strongly that uh, for the next community, we need to have a, a, an organization, uh, a program in place at the federal level to help the next community by using the uh, subject matter experts that have been through this before, like Chief Zeman, and, and has a tremendous amount of knowledge and can help the next community. I felt really, really strongly that that um, if this organization at the federal level was developed, we could uh, help so many communities and um, put the systems in place prior to the event even happening um, and, and then help those communities that suffer from these tragedies move through that recovery process uh, so, uh, quicker, smoother, um, and, and so that we don't have those, those horrible uh, you know, suicides from people committing survivor's guilt. Uh, so um, I'm really, really excited that the Department of Justice uh, teamed up with uh, IACP to put the Mass Violence Advisory Initiative together. We really have, have compiled a, a tremendous set of experts with, with knowledge that, that nobody, nobody else wishes that, that they had ever gone through. And, and I'm really excited to delve into this today and to hear uh, Chief Zeman's perspective and, and what she thinks that, that the MVAI can bring to the next community and how, how we can help the next community uh, on their pathway to recovery. Max, thank you so much for that. I think that we're gonna talk about this a little bit more during this conversation, but you know, in, in discussing mass violence incidents and how law enforcement reacts to them, we're, we tend to be very you know, incident focused and critical incident focused, but there's so much beyond that that involves the victims' families and the victims and how we how we best engage with them. So your your voice here is just so critical. And so thank you so much for, for being able to join us this, this morning so we can talk about that in more detail. Um, I think before we go any further, um, we've mentioned the Mass Violence Advisory Initiative or MBAI as we call it. Um, so we're gonna talk a little bit about what that is and then we'll talk about how it can benefit law enforcement if one of these incidents should happen in, in, in a community in a tragedy like this would happen, how we can best provide assistance to a law enforcement leader facing a situation like that for the first time. So to introduce uh, the MVAI, the IACP in partnership with the Bureau of Justice Assistance launched the MVAI in the fall of 2021. We recognized that there was a need for this kind of unique group of subject matter experts to provide assistance following a targeted mass violence incident. The goal is really simple. Through a team of these subject matter experts, 
the MVAI provides peer-to-peer -peer assistance to law enforcement leaders following a mass violence event to maximize the safety and wellness of officers, other responders, and the community. Um, our subject matter experts, as Max alluded to earlier, are uniquely qualified. Um, they have a unique perspective in that they have experienced the challenges of navigating a targeted mass violence incident firsthand. It's a, it's a difficult group to be a part of. It's a small group to be a part of, but they have unique experience and knowledge that they can share, and they can share those considerations and lessons learned with a police leader who's now in their shoes, in their same shoes. Our subject matter experts include police leaders, public information officers, chaplains, investigators, mental health professionals, victim services professionals, family members of victims. And these are, again, all people who have experienced this, navigated this, and supported their agencies and communities through this process in the past and have a unique perspective to bring to bear to this initiative. Our assistance through the MBAI is upon the request of the responding agency. In other words, we want to assist, but we are not going to jump in unless we're asked to do so. And it is at no cost to the community. So it, it's, it's something that is unique and different. And we're gonna kind of slide into that part of the conversation now, um, talking to each of our experts today. Kristen, how is the MVI, MVAI a unique initiative? How is it different? In, in, there, are, there are services, there are uh, resources out there for a police leader who's facing a mass violence incident, but how is what we're doing different? Well, to explain that, uh, let me go back and and talk about you know when we launched it. It really wasn't uh, something that we knew was was going to occur from the conversations that were had. So uh, we came together uh, via IACP in a room, and I'll, I'll call it a think tank. And invited were those who have gone through these tragedies. Uh, so we had you know people like Max who could speak to you know suffering on on the victim side, and we had chief the chief of you know Aurora, Colorado at the time, and and for the pulse shooting in Orlando, myself, and so we got together and and talked about. Uh, our incidents and how the IACP and the DOJ could assist, but we weren't exactly sure what that was. And when we were focusing in the beginning, it was on prevention. And, you know, that is really the thing that I tout the most is, you know, especially, you know, in the Parkland shooting, I mean, this is so preventable, right? You know, I mean, this, this person who did this, this monster, and I'll, and I'll say that, you know, without apology, was someone dubbed as you know a future school shooter you know in in my profession we call that a clue and so in many of these instances we understand and recognize that you know when we connect the dots backwards we saw that coming right so that was the initial response was how can we prevent these and then as we started to talk through it you know we recognized that law enforcement is a responder we are reactive and it's very difficult for us uh, to be on the prevention side so that's why we focus so much on operations on incidents, on preparation, on doing the thing that we do, you know, and I'm proud of my officers on that day. The first shot that rang out, uh, they ran in what one by one, they ran in and continued to get shot. So, so law enforcement, we have the monopoly on response and incident, you know, and, and we know how to do that. So as we were sitting in this room, we thought, okay, if we can't prevent, um, that's number one, that's what we want to do. Uh, but if we can't prevent, what can we do if it happens in our community? And I will tell you, coming from an organization in a training division that was on top of, of our incident and operations, what I learned 
was how much I didn't know. Uh, the operations happened and our officers did a phenomenal job, as I mentioned, saved lives that day, but lives were lost. But then what happens after the incident something that you cannot predict is, you know, family members, those who are looking for their loved ones in the incident, and they don't know whether they were a victim of this. How, how is it that law enforcement and the rest of the community and, and subject matter experts being, you know, those who are, are ex, have expertise in, in victim advocacy, all of this, these, that comes together after the fact. And what I didn't understand um, is that I needed assistance in that moment. And so that's what was born from these conversations from MVAI is that we could have a team of people that could come in, those like Max, those like myself to say, hold on, maybe you didn't think of this. Media was another entire beast that was occurring on that day. So it's like I was juggling all of the things, you know, being in, in front of the camera for press conference. But I will say the hardest thing for me and the thing that I didn't understand was our shooting happened on a Friday and then meeting with the families of those who were tragically murdered the day before. And I was not prepared for the level of emotion uh, involved in those conversations and the anger and the raw hurt. And, and had someone been there with me to say, okay, here's what you can expect. So this is what MBIA does is that if there is an incident, then we can come in and we can assist. And, and I, I want to point out is that you can be the most uh, trained police department. You can have it all together and understand operations, but there are so many things. You mentioned it earlier, Christina, you don't know what you don't know. And so what our team does uh, with the assistance of DOJ at no cost to these organizations as we come in and we simply will we'll be on the sidelines and we will assist, period very helpful. Um, so Max, I'm going to turn it over to you for, for a bit now. You had a very unique experience and it was challenging, I'm sure, in, in ways that, that we can't even begin to fathom. How do you think that it could have been better, easier, less challenging for you, for families, for victims, if there were a, a support system of groups like the MVAI who could kind of come in and provide some assistance to law enforcement leaders and provide your perspective, the family's perspective, the victim's perspective, and put that at the forefront. Yeah, there currently, or prior to the, the development of MVAI, there was no entity that would or could had the resources to surge either virtually or in person to the next scene of a mass tragedy event. There, there are other organizations that produce um, you know, written material, but but nothing like what we put together. Uh, and and it takes uh, a police chief, a police executive with courage uh, to 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 really um, understand, like chief, like the chief said, that you don't know what you don't know. And and you're you could be a great chief, but if you haven't gone through a horrible tragedy like like what what we've gone through. Uh, there's just no possible way that you could know everything. And so what we tried to assemble were, were experts. So we don't just have, you know, uh, law enforcement executives like, like the chief. We also have, you know, homicide investigators on our team that were at Las Vegas that dealt with that or that dealt with Parkland. Um, we've got PIOs on our team that, that have been through this before and lived it and, and have all these lessons learned. And so... I would encourage everyone, even if you think that you got it, 
at least just have a conversation. Um, I know there are, there are things that, that we can uh, help you with or, or shed uh, former experiences on that maybe you didn't think of that you can take into account. And not, that, not, that not only can help your, your agency, your community, but, but more importantly, the victim's families. And so, you know, talking specifically about, about our tragedy, when, when this happened to us, they automatically, uh, you know, establish a family reunification center. They did that at, at uh, the Marriott. And so I arrived at the Marriott at five o'clock at night. This is after going to all the hospitals, my family and I, and searching for Alex and, and nobody gave us answers, couldn't find him. And when we got to the family reunification center, it's just this massive conference room with, with you know, there were 17 victims' families um, that, that were killed and 17 that were injured in my tragedy. In just three minutes and 51 seconds, this was all completely over. So everybody was completely um, shell-shocked. We had no idea what was happening. We didn't know where our loved ones were. And that's the only thing we wanted. So I, I, when I walk in this room, you know, just people are crying hysterically, um, wanting answers. And, and there wasn't any answer. And so as I look back on this, you know, we never got uh, an update from, from the sheriff and says, hey, this is what's happening and why. Uh, this is why, uh, you know, this is what we're working through right now. We'll be back here in an hour to give you an update. We didn't get that kind of information. The only thing information we got was uh, we need you to send us a picture of your loved one to this email address over and over and over. And it wasn't until two in the morning that that the death notification was made to us. So there were, there were a lot of failures uh, prior to the tragedy that should have prevented this from ever happening. But there were a lot of things that happened after the event happened that, that, if I, that I know that if the uh, law enforcement executives and the leaders of, of our tragedy would have had at their hands and would have had people uh, with them and saying, hey, chief, have you thought about this? Have, have you implemented this? Uh, I know that it would have made things smoother. I know it would have given us sort of more, better services, would have helped the victims' families. I'll just give you a, another example. At the victim, the family reunification center, we had the victim services professional from the Broward Sheriff's Office come up to the families, and I think she gave me her card, and then said, uh, you know, I'm here, call me if you need anything. And then literally never called us again. I reached out to all the 17 victims families and, you know, we, we needed help, but, but that, that help never came. We basically had to figure all of this out on their, on our own. And so some of the lessons learned from Parkland is that, you know, for those victim services professional, uh, you want to keep in touch with these victims families. Uh, it's okay to introduce yourself at the Family Reunification Center, but don't ever uh, forget about them. You need to be constantly reaching out to them uh, initially in the days after, and then at once a week, once a month, every other month, and ask them, uh, you know, uh, not only if there's anything you can do for them, but, but we don't, I didn't know what I needed. I had never been through this horrible tragedy before and give us a suite of services. This is, this is how, and so if he had had uh, an MVAI subject matter expert before, we could have said, hey, this is how we help the victims of the Aurora tragedy. 
this, uh, these are the services that we provided. So it's that kind of, of on the ground experience that, that will help the next uh, law enforcement executive. Max, I'm gonna ask you a follow-up question because we talked about this before and we talked about how words matter and words mean something, the choice of words that you that you use. And it's something that I don't think we always think about in these moments and in these incidents where we're trying to just, you know, keep everything under control, but we're not necessarily thinking about how we phrase things. Can you talk a little bit about, about that in terms of words that maybe we tend to use to describe these, these tragedies? words that perhaps law enforcement should consider not using or words that would be better choices that would be less hurtful, impactful for the victims to hear? Yeah, no, thank you for asking me that question, Christina, because, you know, that's that's what this podcast is about. It's about talking about lessons learned from, from former tragedies and how we can help, uh, you know, law enforcement executives in the community avoid uh, stepping into minefields because that's what that's what this uh, tragedies like this are. They are minefields, and and we can help you avoid these tragic uh, these uh, these situations. So, like for instance, we had we had people uh, you know giving press conferences with the best intentions, but they would say things like uh, that you might say in a, in a normal press conference, but. Uh, you know, when we heard the this kind of language, it really hurt us and it really upset. And I'll give you examples. So we had, you know, uh, law enforcement get up there and talk about this event or this incident. And and to us, to to the victims' families who had just had their their children and their husband uh, or their son murdered, it was really hurtful to hear that. And this to us, it's not an incident or just another event. This is a tragedy. So um, I would I would recommend any any law enforcement executive uh, try to try to say that uh, that this was tragedy. We don't say that that Alex was lost. He wasn't lost. He, he didn't he didn't run away. He was killed or murdered. Uh, we don't use the word execute uh, this plan. We say uh, we're going to facilitate this plan, organize this plan. Uh, I, I would recommend not to use the word trigger. Say activate. And and really important is. Obviously, what happens when these situations occur is these are events that will, uh, you know, occur. So you're gonna have that one month. Everybody always says anniversary. I I don't really like that yeah. word. This is not a happy occasion. So I like to use the the one month mark, the six month mark, the one year mark. And so uh, I think if you use that kind of language that you're gonna commemorate their life, you're gonna remember who they are. I think that it will help help not only the law enforcement executive uh, in its relationship with the victim's families, it'll also help the victim's families and let them know that, that the victim's families uh, are never gonna be forgotten. And that's the most important thing to the victim's families. And um, yeah, that's what we're here for. Kristen, would you be able to share some, some experiences from, from what you dealt with and maybe some lessons learned that Again, back to that, we don't know what we we don't know. Having looked back on it, you know, we could have approached it differently, or maybe we just weren't looking at it through the same lens that we look at it through today. Absolutely, and let me tell you, I have learned so much from Max in in just that words matter because I just up until most recently was referring it to the anniversary of the event, and it never occurred to me that it, you know to that not to call it that the anniversary is usually a, a happy event right and so these words that matter and i will i will point out 
um, succinctly that it's not ill-intended. This is the way that we were raised in law enforcement, just the facts, right? And and so from the academy, we as we write our reports, you know, it is an incident, you know, it is the event. And as we're standing up at the podium, uh, giving the press conference, for these tragedies, we find ourselves using that same vernacular in law enforcement. And it's most certainly not meant to be hurtful. It's just that that is the vantage point from which we see the world. And, and when you listen then to Max and others who have gone through these tragedies and they point out when you say these things, it's very hurtful to us. It was just such an eye opener for me. And again, I, I considered our organization and you know, we even you know, had the wherewithal to put police officers as liaisons to the families. And so I was you know, so busy patting myself on the back for all of the good things that we were doing you know, and, and, and instinctively, intuitively being conscious of our families and making sure that, that the communications uh, were, that they were included. Before I, I had a press conference, I made sure that every family knew what I was about to say. Like when Max describes someone handing him a card and saying, reach out if you need anything, uh, that just is cringeworthy to me. Uh, you know, to his point, we don't know what we need. I just lost my son in there. I said lost. You know, my son was just tragically murdered. And so, and and to just say, hey, call me if you need anything is is just something that we don't realize that we're doing in the moment. And, and again, not ill-intended. And so that's precisely what I'm talking about when I say that you can be the most together organization, the most together chief, you know, and think that you have everything, you know, under control as far as the incident and operations. But what we often fail to do in law enforcement is to bring in the human factor. And the hardest day for me, as I mentioned earlier, was meeting with the victims' families. And for us, it was, uh, again, to bring information to them. Here are, here's what's going to happen next in, in this. This is what is you know, we consider you know, operations. This is an active investigation. And so we wanted to make sure, and you know, and I, I say this you know, kind of robotically, this is the active investigation. Here, you know, victims, families, here's what's going to happen next. You know, the state's attorney will reach out. You will be, you know, interviews will be conducted. Your, uh, the, uh, your family members' belongings will be given back to you. I mean, and, and it's just so, um, the feeling is, is missing, right? And so as we're giving this information, I will never forget how I felt and I'm sure how they felt as I was standing in front of them and, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. And then I remember standing in front of the victim's families and the first question that, that you know, hand was raised and, and they were so angry at me. Now, I recognize now that they weren't angry at me, but they were hurt and they were confused and they didn't understand how this employee could walk into this manufacturing plant with a gun and, you know, how no one knew that this was occurring and it became, you know, our fault. And in that moment, I was like, wow, this, they're lashing out at me, but I didn't understand it at the moment. I understand it now because they're, they're hurt and they're angry. And I was standing in front of them, but one of them said, Hey, did you go visit your police officers in the hospital last night? And my response was, yes, I, I did. And I said, well, you didn't come to my house. And I, it was just like a knife through, through, you know, right through my heart. And I, I thought, my gosh, like there was so much that, 
we could have done better, but I didn't realize what they needed in that moment. I understand now, and especially meeting with the families and, um, and getting to know them is that they were lashing out and it wasn't personal, but it was something I needed to absorb and did. But these are the things that you don't account for. And, and I think that where we fail is that we don't know what to say. And so we don't say anything. And so we don't want to say the wrong thing. And so we don't say anything. And then that lends itself to feeling um, like Max abandoned in this moment. You know, here I have, you know, I, I, I have incurred this unthinkable tragedy. And I would have people who are supposed to know what they're doing, right? Victim services and law enforcement. And yet we, we just continue to drop the ball, the emotional side of it. And so I think that's where we need to concentrate. So there are, most certainly is a checklist, all of the tasks that need to be done. But man, one of the biggest things that we need to recognize is that this is these are about human beings and this is where we really need to focus. And this is where our team can come in and say, here is, is how you can avoid, you know, that, you know, and, and Max feeling like he did on top of everything else he was feeling and that shouldn't have to happen. No, it absolutely shouldn't. And Max, I see you, I see you nodding and I know, I know this, that her words are impacting you right now. So how do we do better? How can we do better? Yeah, I think I think that's why the MVAI was created, and we're here to help. And even if if you if you as a as a chief of police or, or a sheriff think think that you got you got this specific uh, situation under control, I think that um, you know one thing that is hard to really grasp is to just understand that it's not just this day's event. It's not just the investigation, which is what you're normally used to, but it's about uh, that you're going to be connected to this event and you're going to be involved in this for the rest of, of your tenure at, at that police department. And you are going to be swarmed, um, you know, with media. And that's why we have PIOs involved in our MBAI. And it's also about helping you navigate uh, after the event, after the investigation, and, you know, one thing that I, I can say as, as we have moved forward, we're now four years after our tragedy. Uh, the one thing that I, I think that is most important and that can really help all parties involved is to make sure that everything that happens after the tragedy is victim centric. And, um, and if I can just communicate that to, to our audience, um, I think that that will help you uh, in your relationship with the victims, families, like the chief was talking about, it can go so wrong in so many different ways. And, and if, if everyone in the community is just victim-centric, all the events that happen after the, uh, the initial event, that one-year mark, all the commemoration events, everything needs to be run through the victims' families. And so we had a lot of situations in Parkland where that didn't happen uh, with, with the best intentions involved, you know, um, but when it wasn't run through us, when was not coordinated with us, because the, the people that know the best about how to memorialize their loved ones are the victim's families. Um, so that's, I, 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 so much heartbreak could have been avoided if, if, if all of the events and the planning of the events 
was was communicated through and run through all the the victims' families. But in our tragedy, there's 17 of them. It is an enormous task, and there's 17 injured as well. So you know, we had to really figure all this out on our own. We developed a communication platform. We all use Slack. There's so much that goes on to it. And when you have these whole high profile events, when the media is, is involved and then you've got the, the perpetrator is still alive, it just is a whole nother um, dimension to it that, that, um, that puts this amount of stress and, and anxiety and just uh, horror to, to the victim's families that it's not over after your investigation is done. It's, it's all that other stuff. And hopefully that's what we're here for is to help you navigate that and see the things that you might not see um, ahead of time or didn't think of them. I, I, I want to add to that as well, because that is where I also believe that law enforcement uh, could potentially fall short because in, in, my uh, mass shooting, we had five officers shot. And so, and there the injuries were very serious. So a lot of that became very law enforcement centric in, in our uh, particular organization and even in the community. So notwithstanding there, there was most certainly, you know, vigils and, and events that included the victim's families. But I also noted that there were many that were just about law enforcement and that should not happen. That should always be be um, in conjunction with the families. And, and, you know, and I mean, that is not to say that you're not going to have, you know, a fundraiser for officers and things like that, but I will absolutely concede to the fact that there were um, events then fundraising events and things like that, that happened um, that were very law enforcement centric. And so that's not the, the case in every, um, you know, mass shooting incident or, or, you know, mass violence incident where officers are, are hurt as well, but I would be very cautious to those that you know that are is that you, you're not leaving the the victims and, and families um, outside of that. So that's a really important point to make is that no matter what you do, it should always be victim centric, always. And and the officers are victims too, absolutely. You know, but so just collectively thinking about that. So we we've talked a lot about kind of the initial tragedy and what happens in the initial aftermath. Um, but one thing I wanted to note is that our subject matter experts are available to assist throughout the following months and at important times in the following months, such as Mark's court dates, if the, if the subject survived and there's court appearances, there's more things happening in the media, um, uh, things of that nature. What does that look like from the law enforcement and from the victim family perspective, how can we best provide ongoing and continued support and what's needed in the following months? You know, what, what did you each experience that we can, that we can provide assistance with? Because I think that we focus a lot on the initial immediate days, but this is a long process of healing and, and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of, a lot of parties to be involved and provide that kind of assistance and support. Uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I can start here and then I'll, I'll kick it over to Max. Um, so it is, and that is the one thing I, I cannot stress enough that you don't think about that when the, uh, the, the, the operations, when everything you do is, is done on, you know, at the scene, you know, but then there are funerals and that, you know, all, all of the things that, and that is truly when, you know, the emotions kind of flooded in for me. 
uh, was going you know, to all of the funerals. And I was in that position where I didn't know what to say. I was afraid that I was going to say something wrong. But um, we uh, had a presence at, at all of those who were killed tragically on that day, the police department went to all of the funerals. And that's where I would begin is making sure that we wrap our arms around um, those, the, the victims um, of the tragedy, starting there. And we as a police department, again, didn't know what to do or say, but you know what, showing up matters. And sometimes um, that I feel like just sitting in silence and suffering, you know, with the families was, was really beneficial for, for both sides. Uh, so not only that, but then as, as Max mentioned, you know, then looking at, okay, this, you know, one month later, you know, these days matter and the emotions come flooding back in. So making sure that we have the resources for the families and for our officers, uh, because that tragedy comes back and, and floods back and those dates matter one month, six months. And so that becomes very important that we're we're reaching back out and saying, okay, what, what do you need on this date? And, and then sometimes again, you don't know what you don't know. And so just having those experts who are, you know, in mental health professionals that are ready and available uh, to, to talk to people. So I think that is really important. Uh, also, I will say on the law enforcement side, for me, it was important that we got together with our legislators because um, every situation is different. You know, with Max's this the the shooter you know again preventable so now let's talk about you know how we can make sure this doesn't happen again uh for me it was about um a, a gun that was illegally possessed uh by a person who had a felony record and should never have had a firearm so my focus was then on what are we going to do with our legislators now to get this changed and so then the work begins uh, so we can prevent it in the future. So I want to also point that out as well is that, you know, we can't just sit idly and say, wow, that happened. And, you know, we saw that coming, you know, uh, now you got to fix it. You have to really, you know, make sure that you are doing things now that will prevent this in the future. And in both instances, uh, they were preventable. I believe that with all of my heart. And so, so I, I just want to point that out as well, but we have to have conversations uh, after the fact and make sure that we don't just just go about our business, right? Is that this tragedy happened on this day and then, you know, we move forward. Most certainly there's work that needs to be done, but we can never, you know, leave behind uh, those who have gone through it, you know, without having these conversations about what they need in the moment and acknowledging that these, these milestones from the date, the dates, they matter. And, and those conversations and the communication needs to remain open. Max, can you weigh in on the same thing? The following, the ensuing months, the following months, what that looks like for the victims and families and how we can provide assistance during that time. Yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it's important that, that law enforcement executives have to involve the other stakeholders. You cannot do this alone. And this doesn't just affect you. This infects your entire community. Um, so many of the victims that you're dealing with have children. And so you need to have that superintendent involved. The school's got to be involved. The mental health counselors, not only for your staff, for the officer wellness piece of it, but also uh, getting, you know, the children the help that they need so that you don't have kids and, and adults with survivor's guilt, and, you know, that go on to hurt themselves. 
you know, one thing that that nobody wants to deal with, but you're going to have to is fun is is all these donations that surge into these communities. People want to help not only from your community, but the entire world uh, wants is going to want to help you. And so there, uh, you know, I know that in our community, they started that very early. And that was one of the things that helped us other communities you know, didn't want to deal with that. And that really hurt, uh, you know, the amount of, uh, you know, funds that they raised for the victims' families. Uh, another thing that was really difficult for us was that, you know, we're just every day, I'm just, we're just a dad, you know, that, that law, uh, that whose son was murdered. I had never done television interviews before. I didn't know what I was doing. And then, and then I'm confronted with every media outlet under the sun calling me, texting me, and it would have really helped. I know that that Chief Zeman did something amazing um, in in her tragedy, and I'll let her describe that. I wish we had in in hours. And it's and as as she, I don't want to talk. She'll she'll tell tell you exactly what she did. But I wish that that we had done this in our tragedy, uh, Chief. Do you want to talk about how you helped the victims' families navigate that from a a, a media standpoint? Absolutely. So, and again, this was just instinctual and kind of intuitive as, you know, we started to realize that, you know, I, I call it feeding the beast, right? The media. Uh, the media was incessant and showed up at victims' houses, at the officers, both the, the officers and the family members of the victims. And so we made sure that we had an officer assigned to each family and just stationed, posted outside of their homes. Uh, just so that if the media were, you know, to knock on the door and listen, there were, this is not um, a, a diss on the media. There were a lot of really great professional journalists that were um, truly interested in, in covering this in a professional um, and compassionate way. But there were some rogue ones that, that again, were just trying to call to determine who's the victim and to try to get their, the family members to speak. And, you know, and it was just deplorable in, in my opinion, you know, they're not only suffering from this loss, but then having, again, to, you know, field you know, media uh, inquiries and even those who boldly showed up at their homes. And so I would say that the first thing that you have to do is make sure that those families have everything that they need, including, you know, um, some protection, you know, from the outside world that are trying to infiltrate. And so, so that was one thing that we did right. And the second that's worth mentioning again is that, uh, again, being victim centric about making sure that uh, I had, I think, four press conferences in 48 hours. And that was as we determined, you know, more information that was coming in. And it was important to me that before I got up in front of the podium or a microphone was shoved in my face that uh, that I told the victim's families, this is what I'm going to say. In the first instance, I said that we are not going to release any names. In the second press conference, I said now names will be released. So, you know, that's when we had our officers in place. So there wasn't any time that I got in front of the podium or cameras where the, the families didn't know what I was going to disclose. I didn't want them sitting in their living rooms, you know, learning something new about the investigation. They always knew what was unfolding first, even when we found out that the gun possession 
possessed by the murderer was illegally had. And so they knew that before that even went um, on television. And so that was extremely important to me. And I would encourage any uh, um, law enforcement organization to make sure that happens. And again, that's where we come in is to remind you that, you know, this is this is, you know, a box that you have to check. So I'm going to ask you both this question. How do we convince, persuade, if we have a law enforcement leader who's dealing with it in an incident like this, they have a lot going on. There's, there's so many things that are being thrown at them. We, we know how many things they have to be dealing with, so many things that are on their plate. Everyone wants a piece of them. How do we make them feel like this is something that can be helpful to them? How, how do we best present this in a way that they feel like this is not another thing I need to deal with, but the, but instead these are people that can help me and bring me some some resources. How do we best approach that? Well, Christina, I'd like to I'd like to just uh, you know talk about that for a second. And sure. the way that I, the way that I think that uh, you know law enforcement executives should uh, view this is this is not these are not strangers that are coming in here. You've got the the best uh, law enforcement minds in in the business. You're, you're talking. I'll just give you an example of some of the the SMEs that we have on our team. You've got Sheriff John Mina, who was uh, the chief of police during the Pulse nightclub shooting on the team. Obviously, uh, you know we're so happy Chief Zeman is here. Uh, chief Dan Oates. Who was in, who was the chief during the Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting? Uh, chief Mike Keough from Newtown, uh, Connecticut, the Sandy Hook tragedy. Uh, chief Carmen Best from Seattle. We've got uh, Sheriff Bob Galtieri from the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office, a good friend of mine, and uh, really really knows his stuff. He is the chair of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Committee, uh, a man who has who has really devoted the last four years to uh, traveling around the country. And he has presented at, at most law enforcement um, organizations about the what's happened in Parkland, best practices, what we can do to prevent the next one. And then we have you know the PIO from the Dayton shooting, the PIO from uh, the Aurora Theater shooting. We have a, a chaplain. Uh, involved. We've got, uh, you know, just a, a, we've got a lot, a huge suite of, of SMEs that can help you and, and your, your agency move forward and uh, help your community. So I really hope that, that you'll reach out and engage with us uh, so that, so that we, we can help you on any level, on any level, you, you know, you can select from the suite of services that we offer. You know, if you want the the lead investigator from Las Vegas or or even uh, you know or from Parkland that that dealt with this day in and day out, uh, we've we've got those types of individuals that can surge into your community. So so it can free up staff. You know, we can have people come in there, so it can free up staff to do other things, and we can bring resources to bear that your uh, agency or department might might not have. And uh, 
I, I mean this lovingly, uh, so I, I don't want to um, uh, offend any of my brethren in law enforcement, uh, but we are a, a group of very confident individuals, right? We are first responders and, you know, we we believe that we have things under control. And so what I, I and you mentioned the, my beloved colleagues, I mean, these are uh, wonderful individuals, Chief Oates, Chief Mina. Um, and, and these are individuals that understand, right, that they don't know what they don't know. And I think that's the first thing that I want to point out here. And this is you know, part of the issue is that we have in law enforcement is this notion of I've got this. Don't worry, because that's what we do. We come in and we are problem solvers, you know, and and so we are very logical. We are very left brain and, you know, just the facts. And and we believe in our confidence is really what makes us great at our jobs. But what that also does is makes us also believe that we have everything under control. And I am here to tell you, as my colleagues would also tell you, is that there were so many things we did not think about. And that is why you know this team was created so we can come in and help you think of the things that you just don't think about and i will also say that some of the things that we can do now going forward not only is to call upon this team of of individuals and subject matter experts but also start to think in advance uh since the tragedy there have been uh technology that has been uplifted and i'm thinking of um, the Sarah critical incident response uh, applications that was created by Ed McGovern that that on the scene of Parkland could have assisted to show where uh, victims were. I mean, a lot of the things that you can do on the front end is put systems and processes in place so that you know. I mean, seventeen people were killed in this tragedy and what might you put in place right now so that that those things um, that we can get there faster, law enforcement can get there faster. So I would have you thinking right, you know, about being proactive, but then also in the event that we have to be reactive is that that's when you have to think of, okay, what do I not know? Um, so I, I most certainly just want to put that out there is that, you know, we, we truly have to be open and we have to put our ego aside to say, okay, let's bring in a team uh, of people that will tell us perhaps what we've missed. And there's no, there's nothing weak about that. You know, Christina, Chief Zeman just brought up a great point is that you don't have to call us um, or wait for us to reach out to you after the tragedy occurs. You know, I would, I would recommend engaging with, with our team on the front end uh, so that you can put systems in place so that you might not even need uh, assistance after the tragedy. You know, unfortunately in Parkland uh, and in Broward County, there were no pre-existing multi-agency or multi-discipline active shooter response plan. There wasn't. You know, this is the best place to be if there's a hurricane is in Broward County, but this is the last place you want to be during an active shooter event because they, they just were not prepared. Um, no one, no one was identified or agency that was responsible for leading or coordinating the stakeholders and their respective resources. We didn't do the planning, but if you look at like in Orlando, they did tremendous planning on the front end uh, because unfortunately, listen, let's be honest here. If it hasn't happened in your community, it's, it's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. Every community is being affected by, by mass shooting, mass violence, and so uh, every community needs to be prepared.
you both provided so much great insight, so many things that, that our listeners can take away, things that they can implement right now. I'm going to ask each of you one last question before we close out today. And that's simply, if you could provide one piece of advice to, to law enforcement leaders listening to this podcast today as they're, as they're contemplating this potentially happening in their community, what would that be? You know, for me, it's it, it's it's simple. It's always err on the side of of compassion and humanity, even when you don't know what to say or you think you'll say the wrong thing. Um, I, I think that just being present and asking the question of "Tell me what you need right now." I think that again, uh, you know, our, I am so confident in our skills and our ability and operations. You know, we do a really good job in law enforcement. Um, uh, kudos to those who put on their uniform every day, who run towards these things, uh, and and who put themselves in harm's way, who sacrifice who sacrificed themselves uh, to, to thwart shootings, to stop, you know, more victims of, from being hurt. We are really good at that, you know, but it's this, the emotional side, the compassionate side, where I think that, that, that we fall short sometimes. And I would say that, um, you know, if anything is, you know, over communicate, even when you feel like, gosh, I don't want to bother anyone. You know, I don't want to reach out because, you know, they're going through this and I don't want to, you know, add to it, actually over communicate, fight that urge to say nothing or fight that urge to, you know, challenge yourself to say, ah, I just don't want to say the wrong thing. So uh, I'll say nothing. Um, I think the best thing that we can do is keep open communication. Um, and it truly is, it's, it's about the heart. It's, you know, sometimes we have to get out of our heads and we have to get into our heart. And I think, you know, that is what I would really try to emphasize to all the law enforcement leaders and law enforcement professionals out there. And, and I, I agree with, I agree with the chief, you know, uh, we had, there were school board members that never called some of the victims' families after their children and loved ones were murdered in their school. And that, uh, that, that, that pain you know, never goes away. Those 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 parents and, and victims will never forget that that kind of, of treatment. And so along the lines of of what Chief is saying is that you know everyone has a fear of saying or doing the wrong thing. Um, and that just that results in delayed communication. Don't worry about that. Uh, she's right. You know, call, communicate, um, and initially it, it means so much to me uh to know that that you haven't forgotten about about alex and and you're calling to check up on on his family um to see not only how we can help uh but it's using these lessons learned from all these horrible tragedies to help the the next victims families that that we know unfortunately uh, are permeating our country right now with the amount of, of, of weapons out there and the firepower, uh, it, it's just horrible the amount of, of mass shootings that are happening every day in our society, and, and we're here to help. So please, um, you know, communicate with us um, either. Uh, I'd love for everyone to reach out to us on the front end so we can get all these lessons learned to you and you can prepare your community for the next tragedy. Um, but you know, uh, it, it's got to be, it's got to be, you know, the victims, they're, they're the most important, uh, you know, people involved in this, in these horrible tragedies. And these are, are, are holes in their hearts that, that will never heal. But, but it is with that kind uh, touch 
and caring that, that Chief Zeman eloquently talks about, that, that you can help them move through this journey. Uh, none of us ever move on. We just move forward every day, try to do the best we can. So thank you for everybody listening. We really appreciate uh, you doing this. Being Matthew, this. Kristen, thank you both so much for joining us today. It was an honor to have you both. I learned a great deal. I know our listeners did as well. We appreciate you and the time that you're spending on this, on this initiative and we're, we're grateful for your participation. For you listeners out there, um, to learn more about the Mass Violence Advisory Initiative, you can visit our webpage at www.theiacp.org slash MVAI. And this concludes our podcast today. This project was supported in whole or in part by cooperative agreement awarded by the Bureau of Justice Assistance. The opinions contained herein are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice.